Greetings, fellow travelers, and welcome back to The Way of the Showman, where we view the world through the lens of showmanship. I am Captain Frodo, and I will be your host and guide along the way. And today I am bringing you an episode that uh, was recorded in Stockholm a few months ago. It was recorded on the same trip. It's fact, the, the only trip where I have uh, gone away specifically to record conversations for this uh, podcast. So I got out of my house and got on a plane and flew over and uh, stayed with my friend Jay Gilligan, who will be appearing in this uh, uh, episode. Uh, and it's a conversation between four people. One of them is Jay Gilligan, who, uh, if you've only recently joined us on this uh, adventure along the way of the showman, then you will recognize him from episode 81 and 82 and 83 on the Another Sunset, a 10-year-long process. Um, and um, and <laughs> loads of other episodes as well. And we also have hearing again um, Eric Aubrey. Eric Aubrey, uh, who is uh, writing his... Uh, doctor's uh, thesis on uh, juggling, to make a long story short, and you can hear uh, him talk uh, in depth about these things in episode 84 and 85. And I guess I'm mentioning these things because there's a, there's a lot of new uh, listeners, whether everyone will be tuning back in again, I don't know, but a lot of uh, people, a lot of people from the magic community have been tuning in. So thanks a lot to all of you who found us through Macking, uh, uh, spreading the word uh, through his uh, social media. And thanks a lot to Mac uh, as well for uh, being such an excellent dude coming on the podcast and also uh, uh, doing so uh, such a generous job at uh, telling the magic community about this conversation. So that's all very exciting. Hoping to see Mac and and Nick DeFat as well in not too distant uh, future when I'm uh, going to make a short stop in Las Vegas. But anyway, more about the episode today. Um, the episode today is uh, Jay Gilligan, Eva, uh, and it's Eric Aubrey, and it's uh, myself. But there is a fourth person, and the fourth person is a new voice on this air podcast, and he will be the most mature voice that we've had on the podcast. And I'm so excited to have him um, share some of his thoughts uh, with us in this uh, conversation. It's uh, Eva Heckscher. Eva Heckscher is uh, is a deep thinker and has been involved with the Stockholm Circus School from the very beginning. And I would say, some of you who might have listened to, I actually mentioned it in this uh, in this conversation that uh, in the episode with uh, uh, where. Jay talks to Tony Pezzo on object episodes. Uh, uh, Tony Pezzo the third um, mentions um, Eva, and when he does so, what he brings up is interesting philosophical ideas that have been planted then by this man. He's uh, turning eighty in a couple of weeks, and uh, Jay Gilligan is uh, organizing a um, four shows with uh, twenty people attending each time it's in the same little uh, um, uh, what do you call it little art space Ten Fantastiska Platzen the fantastic place uh, where he also exhibited uh, his uh, 
another sunset work and it's going to be a very intimate and each of the shows will be different and I myself will fly over and uh, perform at least on one of the nights with, um, uh, in honor of this uh, man, Eva Heksha. Uh, he's, a, he's a schoolman, so before he joined um, or was asked to take part in the startup of the Stockholm Circus School, he has been involved in starting two other schools. So this conversation today does have a flavor of uh, how do we help um, foster a new generation of circus people? How do we make the next step forward and the next leap forward towards these performers who's going to go out and be the next um, generation that's going to carry these... Uh, <laughs> carried a world of circus and performance and magic into the future. So it's with great pleasure that I um, bring you our uh, today's conversation. Um, the sound uh, was uh, recorded inside a bit of a cavernous space. So uh, if it's any help, imagine that we're in some cave somewhere and that uh, the little bit of resonance that you hear is actually only making it uh, uh, atmospheric and nice. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. It will be the first part of a two-parter. And uh, with that, let's jump into the world of ideas and claim our napkins. At some, some point you need to inhabit that space of being the king of something yeah. even if it's that even if it's just this napkin where this is my expertise mm. well i am the go-to guy of this napkin and people pilgrimage across the world to hear me talk about the napkin and i thought that there was something really profound about that actually uh, just in terms of like there's so much you can learn but at some point there's almost like a decision to learn more or yeah. to excel or I, I don't know. I mean, there has to be decisions. Yeah. You have to come to your decisions. You cannot, you cannot just trip on the rail. The rail will take you up to 28, 29. After that, if you haven't stopped to make your own decisions, you're lost. Yeah. And so many people change next wife, next work, next habitat, next everything, because the insecurity is kind of complete if you haven't decided what you really want to do. Claiming a space of like the napkin or whatever it is, and the self-confidence of he's just made the claim that he thought he was a teacher for 50 years, but it turns out he was a coach, that he has been patting people on the back and helping them forward and I it strikes a chord with me too because sometimes when I'm helping people or I've been invited to collaborate with someone on them creating a show sometimes I feel like I don't have so much to offer but just even listening to them explain their ideas and then steel man that idea try to hear the idea and then explain it back to them as strongly as I can just reformulating their own thoughts. Sometimes that's also enough. That's to just definitely enough. That's the art of life. I did this work last years with a painter girl in, in, in Berlin. 
where she sent me pictures of her pictures, of her paintings, and I stitched her, yes. her painting and showed it to her. And then at one time she said, oh, was that what I meant? <laughs> Which is absolutely illustrating the thing that listening to each other is kind of the art of life. Totally. And, and I think all our friendships are depending on the fact that we are actually, with respect, listening to each other. Mm. And, and I am listened to. And, and at the end of the lessons at the circus school, when the guys started to clap and all, and then I could say to them, no, it's I who have to be grateful because you gave me the opportunity to relieve myself of this shit. <laughs> and, and that is the fact. Yeah, yeah. They all listen to me. And it, it made my life lighter. And in that respect, I could say they were also my coach. Yeah. And that, is, that goes all the way through the water of years as well. The kids that I were teaching, they really wanted to get something out of me. I could never understand why or what, but they were happy to be there and I was happy to be there. So this is kind of the thing, the listening to each other and the interest into each other's work and life. And, and everybody knows that there are degrees kind of curiosity, interest, love, which is a kind of ladder, and, and, uh, and I'd say that this common interest is a condition for working together. And in a school, for example, a Waldorf school like yours, if the teachers are not interested in what is happening in the other classes, the school will eventually fall apart. We had, in the Waldorf school where I worked, we had this scissor, the big scissor of the school. So we could go into each other's class and ask, do you have the big scissor? <laughs> A mean of getting into the other classes and watch what was happening there. <coughs> like a code word, it means yeah. I'm just here to- To watch. To, to, and to look and then and get excited. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and the kids never understood they thought that there was a big scissor somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> and they never saw it. No, they never saw it. But we kept up the common interest, and that was good. Yeah. And it was also good for the kids. And if at the circus school, eventually it comes up that the teachers of the circus school start to be interested in each other's work instead of being rivals for time and money, the circus school might start to prosper, might start to prosper. But it's, it's very clear, as it is now, that this teacher is doing his thing and this, that teacher is doing her thing, and they don't even connect, mm. even less interest each other. It's interesting because I find when people ask about the Waldorf School, partly what is 
strong and unites them as well is that there is a philosophy that goes much deeper than just the initial thing that's going on on the surface of you're teaching the kids this or you're teaching the kids but there is a philosophy that you can agree or disagree with but there is a foundation that ties the teachers together so in in a certain sense they're speaking from one standpoint or whatever whilst a public school will continue to be changed often by the shady whims and obstacles and things imposed by governments and a new government coming in and funding being cut and all sorts of other uh, other things that don't have that same shared philosophy I don't know I mean I, I don't know if that's the that is the case but it uh, it even if they are arguing amongst themselves and that the, the what Steiner talked about was a very large subject, so people are interested in very different things. But even within a circus school, which I would imagine that to some extent a circus school is still trying to find its its way as an entity in the world. What is it that we're teaching? <clears throat> are we teaching them just stand hold the arm a little bit more like that to do the five balls, or are we educating someone to become an artist or so so that this maybe the circus school is floundering even more not knowing who they are and then you get seven different subjects taught by seven different teachers without any coherence so well i always i always thought that the the main thing the main challenge of the circus school was that there wasn't a shared vision of what circus was in one way mm. if you talk about the steiner having a overarching philosophy that you can all speak from that viewpoint that's a unifying condition um that we have coach from Russia, Mongolia, France, America, Sweden. And then if you ask each of those individual people, what is circus, you're going to get as many different answers as there are people. But I don't know, Ivar, what do you say? I mean, this, this, this idea that the teachers should just be interested in each other and interested in what each other's doing. Maybe that's enough. Like, I don't know. It's to, not enough. It's not enough. Okay. No, what you say is absolutely correct. And, mm. and there are these four, these four points for any initiative, social, educational, or whatever initiative. The first thing is you have to have a common idea about what you are doing. You have to have a common idea. If you don't have a common idea, you don't have anything, then you are just disparate guys being in the same place randomly. You have to have a common idea of what you are doing. You have to get happy from working with that idea. You have to, it has to make you glad. Mm. And when you look for colleagues, for new members of the staff, they have to be as unlike you as possible. As unlike you as possible, but with the same common idea. Yeah, yeah. As unlike you as possible. And the fourth and most difficult part is every netto that you create has to be given away. Not only the economic netto, but the artistic netto, the emotional netto, the so all kinds of nettos has to be given away. You can't be a capitalist and an artist at the same time. Not possible. Wonderful. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It, it was a lady from Germany who had been living in Africa and worked with clay houses that came with all these things. But I think it's so clear. She was absolutely these four points, they are really something which are, are you can you can start from there. Yeah. Can, can
can I just ask really fast? Because I don't, like, I can, just to be honest, like, what do you mean you can't be a capitalist and an artist at the same time? Like, I can have my relationship to what that means when you say it, but what, can you tell me more? Oh, yeah, great. Yeah. Can you tell me more about that? You can't be, you have to give it away, uh, not just money, but everything, and you can't be an artist and a capitalist at the same time. So can you tell me more? I think to get your to continue to get your inspiration as an artist, you can't keep. You have to let go. It's not easy to describe this, but, okay. but, but I think it is... I think you know it from your own biography, all of you, that uh, what you are doing all the time is you are giving yourself away more than even you have. You are giving away artistically. And that makes new inspiration come. And if you start to insist on that is my stuff, your stuff will be less and less and less in the end. And, and uh, I think it's it's for every for anyone or for everyone to kind of find out this is not a rule that you can write and put on the wall and insist on obey to this it's not like that it is you'll have to find a way to renew yourself to revitalize not renew yourself to revitalize yourself as artist and the way to revitalize yourself is to not keep, but give away, I'd say. Yeah, it's like you, you, you're discovering more, like by giving more, you're growing as an artist. And in that sense, it's similar to what you were talking about, the, of uh, curiosity, interest, love. Love also has that function. Yep. It's like just holding all your love for one person or one thing. Uh, that that's uh, well valid, but you can but you but you can give that love to all sorts of other things, and there will still be just the same amount of love available to give to the others too. You thought you were giving all of your love, but when you gave the people love, there could still be just the same amount of love here. Like it's it's a non depletable resource or something. So growing as an artist. Yeah, I I think. I think I can relate to what you're saying, but I'd, I'd like to poke at it still a little bit. And it also has to do with the distinguishment that you made a little bit earlier between a teacher and a coach. And now, just to summarize before I go into my question, and now you're speaking about uh, that you're giving away uh, without kind of receiving back or something like that, or expect, expecting to receive back, and then you automatically get inspiration or it's something along those lines, I gather what you're saying. Uh, yeah, not insisting on getting back because you get back. Right. Everybody knows who has kids, which most of us have, that you don't love less because there are three than when there was only one. And when there are five, you love more because there are five of them. And, and that is the character of the, of the thing, love. And, and you don't uh, expect to get back when you give, but you get back. And that is the fact that when you get into that uh, 
when you get into that fact, you get into that formula, whatever, then you know that this is what happens. When I give, I get. When I keep, I don't. Because what I've been wrestling with sometimes is this, just the context and the situation of a learning uh, relationship between, let's call it a teacher and a student. And sometimes I felt like, is this really the, is school, and I mean now specifically the place that we call school or the place that we call education, is that the best framework for a learning experience? Because sometimes I feel like that relationship of student and teacher also pacifies the student. And I think it's related to this, what you're talking about, this, this giving, 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 because I don't know about the rest of you, but I've certainly been in the situation where I feel like I come into a classroom, let's call it that for now, this specific structure set up teacher, student, and just because of that, the, the students, they already have this kind of pas uh, passive default, right? And whereas I'm supposed to have this um, extroverted directional default, right? And sometimes it doesn't work, I think. Sometimes it, Most it, often it doesn't work and we have to give it up. And you're absolutely right. Well, especially in, for example, juggling and circus, just to say really specifically about our lives, because um, they're giving up responsibility to their education to you. And you can't do it for them. That's the problem. It's like you can't juggle for them. That's They just have to do it themselves. And there's the attitude of, okay, now you teach me, now you tell me the answer. It's a passive uh, process for them, but it's actually in the end, you're there to help them. They need to take control of their lives. Yes, it is passive, but sometimes I almost feel that it's you're stepping into magic or something where they expect you to come there and go zoom, and now you're this great artist from somewhere. Well, right? you're there to tell them the right answer. Exactly, <laughs> right? So I don't yeah. know, it, it is, it is pa passive, but it's also some kind of mystery of where this development should come from. And that's where I feel like sometimes maybe education or school as a framework sets up the wrong it does uh, so, so, yeah. so to give like an alternative that would be like master and apprentice or like you're gonna do you know what i mean it's yeah like, i don't know say, I don't hey you want to learn to juggle don't come to circus school but rather you're going to be my apprentice for the next five years and follow me to shows and in the studio and blah 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 i mean there could be another relationship or framework is what you mean right yeah because if we if we work with the kind of the base layer of, okay, let's now imagine that I have more knowledge or competence in this specific field than this other person has. What is the ultimate framework, context for that to be transferred, let's say, or for, I don't know if it is transfer, or for that person also to grow in, a, in yeah. some other way, because we're talking about art, right? So yeah. I don't... I don't know if his transfer is even the best word. No, it's not, because he's got something else. Yeah. And, and what I used to tell you all was, you have to do your thing, the thing that will not be done by anyone else. Yeah. And nobody can teach you that. You can find out that, and you can mirror yourself on all of us. And what I liked in the best days of the juggling, years that we had was that it was an atelier where jugglers met and juggled together and from there something happened with them all 
and that was the case with Patrick and Wes and Ron and maybe some more guys that it actually was not, they were not taught by Jay or Ben or anyone else, but they met with each other. And what I also insist on is this school form. It's, I mean, it's thousands of years old. And, and of course it is completely out of time. It's completely out of time. The word school, is a Greece word and it means break, pause. And the idea was that when they were working in the fields or in the forests or whatever, and then they had to sit down for a while and have their cheese and wine and bread, and that was the school. They sat together and had their meal and they talked with each other. And this dialogue was school. From there origins the word skola, which is kind of teaching us something that yes, this dialogue thing is interesting, that we exchange, that we see each other and hear each other, and from that something new comes into each and every one of us. And this whole thing which is happening in the world with schools is just damaging. It's just waste of time and so much time is nowadays wasted for example in Swedish groups you can't imagine I had a friend that counted on that and, and it was thousands of hours where nothing happened in these 12 years only thing was happening was that in the age where they really grew physically they had to sit down six hours a day 200 days a year sit down yeah stupid yeah i mean the, the question that i'm really intrigued by is like how do you set up the ultimate situation for growth to take place yeah i don't have an answer but yeah. i mean yeah. there's many different ways to approach that and there is but what i was thinking of one aspect of it is the nature of the relationship between the teacher and the students. Because one thing is that we can, of course, we can throw out the teacher, student and the school completely. And there is great evidence, anthropological and otherwise, of hunter-gatherer societies, where the children are learning everything that they need to learn to function within that society based on inner motivation and children of different ages living together and then playing and functioning and learning from not specifically from adults to kids and they're completely integrated into the society and they're learning from each other which in the past used to happen more kids were out in big groups some were older some were younger and they were learning from each other and we know that when a child has come from a foreign culture and they come in to a new country, they learn the language from their peers, not from their parents. Their parents might never speak perfect Swedish or Norwegian, but the kid will speak without an accent. If they arrive before they're seven years old and they immerse themselves into the language, they will speak Swedish completely without an accent from, from learning from their peers. So there's a whole lot of learning that's going on there. So I think there's something not quite correct with putting all the children together in classes only with their own age 
and to have everything just separated. So they're losing that. And in Norway, where they've taken the six years old out of the kindergarten and put them into the school, now the kindergarten don't have a role model to look at, which is almost ready for school. So there's something to be said for that. And there is a lot of education that's been going on literally for millions of years where they have been functioning. So now we are putting a different demand on education. So that, that like there could be completely different structures and Socrates going around town and just asking questions and tearing people's worlds apart by just asking questions and that like a child. So that's another kind of approach as well. I don't, but I don't know how to systematize that. But what I wanted to say, because you started by saying 50 years I've been calling myself a teacher and I know that I'm a coach. But part of being a coach, I think, is to be able to see each individual student for who they are. So when we're like just focus on the kind of circus school since since fixing the whole school system will probably take more time than what we have but like having a person like you who when i heard the interview uh, on on erica and jay's podcast with tony he brings you up and people are talking about you because you have and uh, because you have a positive influence on the development of them as artists and part of being a good coach i think comes from being able to properly see the student and see what lives within the student somehow. So that when you're patting on the back, I don't think you're just patting on the back in any old general direction. Mm -hmm. You have a very educated and you have a very astute way of observing what lives and what's, oh, yes. what counts as truth in that person. And that, that's what the good coach is. It's like... There's not one way that you do it this way and then you will become the perfect perfect seven ball juggler or the perfect artist. It's to say the right thing at the right time and to read it. And the result of that kind of relationship that you've been seen, which is, does not happen on the first day when you go into a university. But over time, I see that happen with my daughter and the teacher, how she gets, she sees this teacher as an authority, which wants the good for her the teacher stops the class if someone has been excluded all teaching stops and now we go what was it that happened here because the most important level of that is how the community is in the class all the teaching can be learned quickly after that or so so maybe there's something there in that teacher student relationship which is in a the machine of school you come in and you expect authority and that they will listen even if they're uninterested then they will sit like this but this is the same thing that i face when i come in to do my act at an evening dinner where someone has had a christmas party and i'm just a bit of a nuisance and i come in and at first i start to talk and i start to do my things and at first they sit a little bit like this and then i go in my words i have to grab their attention first but then once I've grabbed their attention, which you can get by popping a paper bag or screaming or putting something on fire, now I have their attention. But if I just do that, it's empty and meaningless. And then I somehow have to modulate this into an interest in me. And that's a different process to do that short as opposed to do it over the time that you have. But I think maybe you can, the question is how, because it goes back to this thing of listening and to seeing the student for who they are. Because when you then speak after this relationship has been gained with Wes and the two of you and that, when you now speak, 
they listen with the right kind of ear. So now you are teaching because they are, yeah. I don't know, some... Yeah. It's, it's a difference then between kids and adolescents and adults. <coughs> All three is a different thing. With kids, it is absolutely conditioned that there is mutual confidence. I trust you, child. You, child, trust me. And this has to be. And if it is not there, nobody will listen to anyone. When it is not there, I cannot reach the kid. And the kid doesn't want to reach to me. So the confidence has to be established. This first thing, first subject in the first year, first day in the school is, is there mutual confidence between the elder and the younger? If that is so, then not only confidence will be there, but there will be lots of love from children. Children love. They just do that. Mm. And they listen. They just do that. And I saw in the circus school there were students that were immediately listening to the teachers and to me. And there were others that were sitting back. And, and then with the sitting back kids, you had to, again, recreate mutual confidence and mutual trust, because otherwise they will remain expecting me to making them into what they thought that they wanted to become, which generally was not what they wanted to become. And, and so this mutual confidence with kids is first thing. With, with adolescents, it is much more that you have to be in some way interesting to make that confidence happen. And I don't know how that... For me, it was always by hearsay. When I came into the circus school, there were, there were always already students in the circus school that knew me and knew of me and could tell the newcomers, watch out with Eva. And so I was kind of <laughs> transferred into confidence by fame, you know, yeah. as it were. And I made, it, you can't put that under the cover. That was what happened. So I didn't make that. I don't know how to make that. But you make it over time. And then this is also what I would imagine happens in an early society too, that you have the elder that has proven themselves, not just by the fact that they're old or the fact that they are, but everyone goes, if you ever ask, you will get advice that's worth listening to. And if this is the general consensus of a community, let's say the juggling class of the school, because that's very specific, and you come in and then the other people around will go, it's worth, to, if you ever want to have your concepts expanded, talk to Eva. When you think you know everything about the napkin, then Eva comes in and you plant some seeds and you realize that maybe I'm not quite the king just yet. I need to, I'm now the expert just of the little bit of a, on the corner of the napkin. <laughs> and quite often I, with even just the juggling classes, when I was there, 
when I left on the Monday, I said to the kids, to the students, tomorrow when I come, you have to have questions. And if you don't, I will go away. Mm. So I, I had to force it on them to start the business. Because I am not a juggler, so I could I couldn't just come there and juggle. Not possible. I can't juggle. So why do you want me here? Yeah, yeah. So please have questions or tasks or whatever, but it's on you to start the communication between us. That's a bold move as well, though, because this. I, th I think when people arrive at a circus school, they might be institutionalized by this, exactly what you describe. The teacher will come in and they will talk at you. And then at the end of the day or at the end of the week, you have to write down in a test to show that you've listened and you can reproduce what they've said. And to come in and say, you have to ask me questions or else nothing actually happens here is to a way to brutally force them into take responsibility for their own education and as soon as they're asking questions then the dialogue is actually happening yeah. and then if one kid asks a question and you answer that then that usually or hopefully eventually triggers other questions from other people and then it's in this because it is a like that you've talked about it's kind of like you're, you're at the circus school and it is a self-education and there's all these people that are there to help you but unless you actually take it in we were talking about your idea of arriving on the first day of circus school with a computer making the folders making it prepare to contain keep all of that and keep an archive of all of the information that you've taken in and just that process might help guide you towards what is about to come now is going to be of value if not now then later some of these things you have to write down but what i meant with the bold move is to say I could stand here in front of you and talk for the hour and then you guys go out and juggle. But this would actually be close to worthless. And to say, so therefore, I won't teach you anything unless you ask me. Whilst most schools, they can never, they don't do that approach. And I don't know if it is the right thing. We don't have to talk. Yeah. I mean, it also has to do with the nature of what is being taught. Because I think what, what's been so different about the juggling program specifically has been this emphasis on ideas rather than... I mean, it is a different situation perhaps if someone's going to learn a, a flick-flack, for example. If that's what you're expecting, okay, you have to learn certain physical movement and maybe that's different than how do you develop ideas or what's what is it that you want to create it's different paths and i think some of these things are just related to circus school tradition and what do you expect when you come to a circus school like is there going to be a person who's there who goes okay now we're going to warm up we're going to do do, 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 do and now Everybody does the handstand, now everybody does the cartwheel, now everybody does, you know. And that's not perhaps what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Even if I could, of course, come up with exercises like that equivalent to juggling, but um, it doesn't interest me. Yeah, but I mean, I, I was talking to mention to you, I met a woman who started 
the uh, started uh, got, went to the circus school in East Germany in 1981 when it was before the wall and everything and that is still a bit of the Russian model and they come to the school because she wanted to be in the circus and then the word came down from the state circus that they needed foot jugglers in three years and then the coach went you and you she's an incredible foot juggler now or whatever and then she was taught pretty much going this is the act that you're going to do it's like this there was some room she could do double flip instead of single flip where he had said and there was a little bit then you're gonna and eventually she changed things up and made an incredible act but and it was incredible from the beginning but there you were being taught this is the act that you do and in the school that you guys are teaching at th that isn't you could take that approach you could go you come to the school and eric has created the as far as he can see it LinkedIn history and linked all of that this act you learn this act and you will be able to feed yourself and your family for the rest of your life you might have to tour constantly but you work in a circus and this is your act that is like you say it's an approach that one can take towards this but what we're interested in here more maybe than most people that I talk to is how do you educate people to become artists who express themselves through circus and this is so such a nebulous thing it's so hard to grasp yes how to help somebody or how to guide somebody or how to um, make an effort and transfer skills or in th or enthusiasm into somebody so that uh, they will carry the torch onwards for showmanship performance in of any kind it's a uh, very nebulous and difficult question and uh, we're going to pick it right back up again in the next exciting episode where we continue on this conversation and Jay launches into um, a few very interesting ideas right off the top so until next time um, why not uh, find us on Instagram and follow us there um, I'm trying to be active on there and uh, I Hope to see you there and to those people who've sent me emails uh, sharing their uh, passion and interest in the way of the showman thank you so much if a few of you have uh, thought that uh, the episodes uh, that you have heard recently or whatever has uh, given you anything then please drop me a line at the way of the showman at gmail.com I'd love to hear from you until next time take care of yourself and those you love and I hope to see you along the way.